Welcome in, listeners, to another episode of the Busby Babe podcast. I'm your host, Colin Dams, joined once again by Nathan Heinchel and Polly Questel. And uh, for the final episode of the season, uh, our esteemed leader, Brent Maxman. Hey, Colin, thanks for having me on. Polly, Nathan. You you know the mood is somber when we didn't have to re-record that intro because we burst out laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah. shout-outs to second place, Manchester United. Uh, is is great finishing on a win. No other games have happened since. We're never going to Gdansk again. Uh, oh. My guilty feet have got no rhythm. Yeah, I'll tell you what. You know who forgot their Gdansking shoes and their shooting shoes? Manchester United. Well... And they kind of just did what you wanted them to do. They punted away the Europa League. Yeah, I wanted them to do that in January, not in May. You happy now, Nathan? Yeah, my, my agenda. Yeah, well, uh, we're, we're coming in on the Thursday after the Wednesday Europa League final loss to Villarreal. Uh, finished 1-1 after 120 minutes. Uh, and then, of course, a very lengthy penalty shootout in which David De Gea was unfortunate enough to miss the decisive spot kick. We were Pretty going to, to play a Europa League game on a Wednesday. If, if that game's on a Thursday, we win. No, yeah. no question. Vibes yeah. are off. We were promised Thursday night Champions League. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I think after about 24 hours to let it sink in, you know, the loss doesn't feel as bad. And um, I guess on the vibes train analysis, I'm actually feeling pretty good that I got to witness Manchester United in a cup final again. Like, as infuriating as it was that we were playing poorly, it was pretty fun experiencing that sort of anxiety again, as opposed to more, you know, depressing existential anxiety about whether we're actually ever going to be good again. I would say to that, that yes, it was good to have that anxiety being in a cup final. And there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. That was too much of a good thing. Sudden death penalties as a neutral, you love it. 22? Come on. <laughs> 22 is a piss take. Why is, why is the goalkeeper? Why are we going goalkeeper on goalkeeper? That's too much anxiety. You know, a little bit of drama was okay. You know, extra time winners, that's great. 22 penalties, too much. Um, and I would say, yeah, it was good. Uh, it's a it was a shit end of the season. Still, kind of raw. Um, probably need another another couple of days at least to start feeling like we could put this for me anyway. Feeling like we could put this season into uh, perspective. Um, because look, it's 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 uh, it's one game bad day at the office all around, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get into just how and why. Um, but yeah, it's a there's no run away from that. That is that is a failure, and that is a, a, a pretty uh, shit end to the season. Yeah, I'm. I I don't know if I can agree with you, Colin. Only because as the most recent Manchester United fan on the podcast, this was my first cup loss, and it feels awful. Where were you in 2018? What cup were we in 2018? FA Cup. He also. <laughs> Blank that out of his. So I had completely blanked that FA Cup final loss out of my mind, and I only yeah. realized that this week when I was editing Tom's piece, and you know there was some small, there was an error in it about which cup final um, Luke Shaw was injured for, and mm-hmm. I did not catch the error, and then Tom got it afterwards, and I realized I just completely blocked out that FA Cup final loss. This is think- the first major cup final that I've experienced that we lost in the 2018 FA cup final is probably the worst final I've watched. Um, <laughs> it, it was decided one nil by a penalty that was scored in the 10th minute. So a Mourinho team had to try and break down an Antonio Conte team for 80 minutes. Yeah. I, I completely repressed that memory. Um, I, I, had, I just I had remember that up. screaming for the first 10 minutes because the sun was in whoever their goalkeeper's eyes, like, cause the way Wembley's roof is designed is moronic for hosting a, a game at that time of year. And like Chelsea defenders couldn't see anything. And we were like, Oh, sorry that you can't see. We just won't attack. Therefore like to even this out. Oh, you know what? I, 
my girlfriend at the time had broken up with me that week. I, I, that whole week doesn't exist to me. That's what it is. <laughs> oh, this is an uplifting start to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> tough week all around. May of 2018. Yeah, let's move on to something more upbeat, like breaking down Manchester United's performance against Villarreal over 120 minutes. I think we brought it up on the podcast before. Um, what does set piece training look like at Carrington? Like, is it Mike Phelan just putting up his hands and saying, you know, do whatever you feel like it? Like, what's going on there? Yeah, I think uh, so. Obviously, like Paulie had a great piece up on uh, bosbybabe.com. Um, great website for all listeners if you haven't heard of it. Um, <clears throat> on United set piece system, and there are two problems with it, right? One is that it is the kind of system you put into place when you don't have a lot of time to work on anything better in training. And two, it is like a lot of our defensive organization entirely too dependent on Harry Maguire. Um, I mean, that, that, that is a theme that runs through not just United's defense, but United's attack as well. Um, that reliance on individuals to do things. And, uh, yeah, uh, you know, in, in Paulie's piece, he talked about the fact that we win most of those first balls. When we don't, it goes to shit. There's, it, right? It's complete chaos in the box if we don't win that first header. And we only have, one defender who is excellent in the air. We have a couple that are decent in the air, but we only have one defender who is excellent in the air. And him being out uh, had, uh, I guess, a knock-on effect in two ways. One, it shifts the rules, relative rules of everybody else. And two, we don't, we're not used to playing games without him. We don't have those reps without him in the team, you know, um, but Maguire is a very, very good player. Um, he came on a criticism because of his price tag or, or whatever it is, but, but Maguire is excellent. Um, and we know that better than anybody because we spent, uh, I don't know, eight years not having any grown-up centre-backs um, except for about a, a six-month spell, spell when Chris Smalling was, was very good. Uh, but other than that, all our centre-backs were either flawed, unreliable, unfit, or all three, in, in the cases of most of them. All of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, yes, not getting those reps with Maguire, not in the team, because he was so durable. Um, and then, of course, it's a personal issue because, look, Eric Bailly is the more senior, um, maybe better central defender, but his style is also um, riskier let's say, than Tuan Zewe, had he started. So, yeah, um, all kinds of reasons why we're usually, we're not great at set pieces anyway, um, because our system of defending them is, is probably too, um, it's probably over simplistic. Um, but we're okay if we have everyone, because we have reps with that same uh, back four. But when you remove the most important part defensively of that back four, I mean, I think we could have seen that set piece goal coming from a mile away. If, if yeah. I start, if I start shedding tears right now, it's not. I'm not crying because I'm thinking about the game and the loss. It's, it's because Brent actually read my work. I have oh. to I have to read it at least once <laughs> before it goes up. Well, it's not like I've given him anything to read in a while, so <laughs> I have I have time. And he oh, actually listened to the podcast this last the, week. Also, so. the amount of times that like we are somewhat okay defending a set piece and it requires a perfect delivery to beat us and they just get that perfect delivery, it boggles my mind. I, that ball over the top yesterday was inch perfect right on to it. I, I think if – I forget who scored the goal, but if he has to win that with his head, even if he wins the header, I don't think he's scoring. It, the fact that he's able to get his that it's able to just drop right in front of him and he's able to put his foot on it and put it away from De Gea, it, it was they just got the perfect delivery. But it, it came from and how many times do we see it come from just a completely unnecessary foul? And 
it came from, I think it was, it started with De Gea made a, a terrible clearance that mm-hmm. went right mm-hmm. to one of their players. And then we, we won the ball back, but we couldn't settle it down. And we won it back again and we couldn't settle it down. And it got to the point I was screaming, like, you know, just hoof it into the stands and take a 30 second timeout and reset yourself. And instead, Cavani makes the foul, which at the time I was like, well, that's, we needed that foul because we needed to set ourselves down. But we're united. If you give away a foul, a, a dumb, unnecessary foul, it always ends up in the back of our net. There was another one, too, where it seemed like we were playing a high line that was uncomfortably high, where you know it was perfect for Danny Pareo to just loft one in for them to run onto. There was so much space for them to run to, um, which I, I think that was the situation against Everton where we saw De Gea again put in an uncomfortable position, you know, At deciding Liverpool. whether he needed to come out or not. Yeah, in Liverpool. So, you, you know, we if Mike Phelan is our special teams coach, we might need to look at moving on from him. Um, but other than that, I I think my takeaway with Maguire missing is that we still would have had to break down via Real anyway. But Maguire's forward passing and his ability to comfortably get up into the, you know, the attacking third and make something happen was kind of missed as well. Whereas we saw... By McTominay and Lindelof kind of uncomfortably passing around the halfway line for a lot of the match. And it just kind of contributed to the feeling of it doesn't look like we're going to be able to get anything done. Yeah, I mean, because Lindelof, Lindelof is good on the ball, right? That's one of his strengths that he's good on the ball. But in, in terms of uh, what he contributes to the attack, um, it's not uh, it's not necessarily complex, right? It's a I don't want to call it's weird to call a central defender uh, a one trick pony, but that's his trick, right? It's a ball over the top or a diagonal, usually for Rashford or some other of the forwards getting in behind. When you have Villarreal <clears throat> playing these two banks of four very deep, you know, that's Lindelof's main attacking strength nullified. And um, yeah, I mean, to me, Yes, we would have missed, you know, Maguire being able to uh, to drive forward, and then maybe we miss him as a uh, as an attacking threat on set pieces or or corners. But we've also seen multiple times where the midfield isn't creating anything, and and Maguire bypasses the midfield to get into attack. Um, that hasn't always been successful either. That has just been another indictment of the fact that, uh, and it's usually when it's Fred and McTominay in there, um, that the midfield can't, you know, can't pass between the lines, can't create anything for themselves. Yeah, Lindelof is is very good at taking what you give him. So he he does play that over the top ball to Rashford very well. Um, and he's the way that teams defend us, they're they're usually banked a little bit more towards their right, our left, because that's where Shaw is, Maguire is. Pogba typically is, Rashford is, where our better players are. And there are those times where the ball comes to Lindelof and you just see him charging forward because there is all that space because they're shifted that way. And and you're like, oh, Lindelof's making this run forward and he makes things happen from that. But when you shift him over to the left, now he's where the action is and you're not giving him anything and, it's, and he struggles to press the issue and to create it himself as opposed to you're giving me this option, I'll take it. So does this performance and kind of the uh, resurgence of questions about Manchester United's center back depth, does that bring that position to the front of their minds going into this transfer window? Because it seems like, you know, all of Lindelof's weaknesses are exposed when he doesn't have McGuire here and that isn't a good sign. Um, I don't know if we learn anything new. Um, look, I've said, I've said all season or since last season, do we need a, an upgrade at, at center back? Yes. I, I think it's maybe uh, the third or fourth priority. What well, the third, it should be third or fourth, fourth priority. Uh, for the team, um, but yeah, we, I mean, we we need a if we address the other 
areas of the team, yes, you know, we should get a senior center back because we have too many center backs who need their hands held. Uh, and we know what it's like because, again, we lived through that post Rio and Vidic. All we had was center backs who needed their hands held, um, including um, as as good as he is now and as much as I like him, including Johnny Evans for a while at the end of, of his time here. So <clears throat> you can't have Bai who needs his hand held, Twanzebe who has not gotten the runner games and we don't and we don't really I think without a passer in holding midfield, I don't know if Twanzebe is, is going to be a regular or could realistically even compete uh to play next to Maguire. Um because we did, we don't have enough ability on the ball to afford any more passengers where that is concerned. And I and I like Twanzebe a lot. I think he is he is um really good defender you know he has all the tools uh but he doesn't have the the ability on the ball and, and we can't afford any more players in the team who can't put their foot on the ball and, and at least make a pass so you know if if Twan Xavier is going to be fourth choice at best um Bailly is not it uh because he either can't stay fit or he's he is tends to be a liability as much as his ceiling it, you know, it's still relatively high, and we know what Lindelof is already. Uh, yeah, then we we need somebody um, who is going to elevate that position right now. You know, we we just can't we can't afford any more. I think it's unacceptable to have for a club of our stature with our ambitions to be that reliant on one player. Big teams always miss their big players. That's why they're big players, right? We're always going to look worse if Bruno isn't playing. We look worse when Pogba isn't there, right? If we had to play, um, you know, if if Alex Telesh, even though he's come on recently, has to play instead of Luke Shaw, we look worse. If we have to play Brian Williams instead of Aaron Wan-Bissaka, we look worse. But the huge knock-on effect of such an important position um, on all of the rest of the team and that drop in quality is just it's too much right now you know the gap between Maguire and the rest of the center backs is just too much damn Brent really reads all my my things because he's taking all the words out of my mouth I don't think you I don't think you can look at one result and suddenly be like oh crap we got to put center back at the top of uh at the top of the list I think Brent's right it's the third or fourth priority you of course you get everybody after this match, talking about Pau Torres and how, you know, we've been linked with him and how great he was. And you also forget that, well, they played in the deepest of deep blocks. Pau Torres couldn't have been more protected in that match. And that's what our center backs need is protection. How often we leave Lindelof and Maguire exposed. And Ollie likes Lindelof. He, Lindelof does a lot of things. He's, he's good on the ball. He's, he's, he organized the defense very well. He's, he yells at, you know, he, he's, he's very vocal out on the pitch and there's a lot to like about him when, when that top four are there together, we don't concede a lot of goals. It's when you make any changes. And I think we've, we've seen this. We, we know what Lindelof's weakness is, is he doesn't handle that traditional big physical number nine very well. And we saw him this season when we had that run of games in January against teams that play that way, he came out of the team and Bayi came in and they, they did a good job. And I think that contract, that two year contract to Bayi kind of told us where they stand on a center back. I, I think if we are going to go and look for one, it's going to be as more of a backup to McGuire than someone that's going to come in to be in that starting 11 and whether that's what we need or, or not, as Brent was just talking about, we need someone that doesn't need their handheld. But when you look at how much money it's going, if, if, if we have, if we have checked off three other players and how much money it'll cost to bring in a senior center back that can walk into the starting 11, we don't have the money for that. And we have other areas in the team that need to be addressed first. So if you could then, hopefully get Phil Jones out and replace him with someone that you can actually trust to come in 
and play on that left side. And this will also push Lindelof because if, if you bring in someone that can play on the left side, you can move Maguire to the right side and, and have two players there. But we, j- we just lack so much in terms of the ball progression and playing out the back and we're a team that's built on playing out the back. Axel Tonzebi is a fantastic defender, as Brent said. Defend- he's an old school center back. If this was 1995, he walks into the starting 11 at most top four teams at most big clubs. But it's not 1995. You have to be able to play with the ball at your feet these days. And he hasn't. And we had this little run of four or five games where we we let Twanzebi and Bai essentially audition for a starting place in this role in this game. And neither one of them were bad, but neither one of them grabbed that role and said, I need to be the guy. I my thoughts on it were. It could go either way and maybe go with Twanzebi because he can play on the left side and this way Lindelof stays in his natural right-hand side and maybe buys a little bit of the better defender, but that caused Lindelof to shift and that was ultimately the call. But there's a lot of the team selection that I just perplexes me. Yeah, uh, Ollie did the opposite of what we talked about on the podcast, so he clearly didn't listen. Um, you know, well, he, he did went, what you wanted him to do. Well, go full strength? Yeah. Yeah. He didn't I listen mean, to me. What did you say, Nate? I said, uh, and I quote, just get the fucking dub, I believe, <laughs> yeah. was, was the direct quote. It ju- to me, it, it just <laughs> seemed like, it just seemed like he, for, he let the moment get the best of him and he picked the 11 best names or the 11 people that he thought he owed it to to start this match and didn't pick the best team to win the match and Edinson Cavani deserved to start that's what I said I said he deserves it more than anybody else but he shouldn't Mason Greenwood's been on fire recently he deserved to start Marcus Rashford has not been but you know you owe it to him if you're Ollie. That's how he's going to feel. He's been there the entire season. We've relied on him the entire season. And sentimentally, you you put him in there, and that might have been wrong. The same way that Pochettino put Harry Kane in the in the 11 against Liverpool. It's, when you let sentiment sentimentality get in the way, that can hurt you. And, okay, so Fred wasn't available, or maybe it was just that front three deserved to start, and so does Pogba, and so does McTominay, and... And Bailly's the third-choice center back, so I'm going to go with him. It just felt like he picked the 11 names rather than the team, and that's why he didn't make any subs in the second half because it's 1-1. Like, what you were doing wasn't exactly working, but where did you change? Who did? Who do you take off, and what else do you bring on to bring? Like, yes, Marcus Rashford needed to come off, but who's coming on? Dan James is a like-for-like sub that's way worse. So... You're going to bring on Dan James with a half hour to go and expect him to change the game? I don't think so. Dan James is also not, he's had his great games, but he's not a good player against deep blocks. He's very good when you let him run into space. So, no. Donnie Van de Beek has done nothing to say, oh, put me in, I'm a game changer. Juan Mata, maybe, but Mata hasn't really played much in the last six months. Every, and that to me was, that was the thing is, it seemed like, if we needed to shore things up defensively, we had changes to make. If we needed to go for broke and take risks, we had changes to make. But if it was 1-1, nil-nil, and it was like we just were pushing on and we're in the driver's seat here and, it, and the momentum is going our way, we just need that little more, there was no change to make. And that's not setting your team up to win a, to win a, a, a one match. And... That's where he failed was sometimes you have to leave one of your good players off and bring somebody else in. Not so much, you not, not so much to win the game for you, but to go out there and say, do a role, do a job for 65 minutes. And I'm going to bring this, I'm going to bring a Cavani or a Rashford or a Greenwood off the bench. And they're going to be fresh against the other team's tired legs. And that's going to be a real advantage for us. If you don't have that on the bench, you got to leave one of your starters out. And he didn't. 
I would actually say that I think Donnie Vandebank could have been a good substitute in this game, not necessarily to be a game changer, but, you know, to try and make runs into the box, you know, when you're trying to break a team down, you need somebody who changes up the way that the team defends you. And he's somebody who gets into the box and tries to run into space and maybe could open up more space for one of the other game changers that was already on the pitch. I think I agree. We need, we needed another Bruno was being marked out of the game. We needed another creative player up, up the pitch, which is when you're, when you're attacking substitution is to bring on Fred so that Pogba can go wide. It's like, that's how you start a match, not how you change it up. Cause now your, your midfield still has all those weaknesses. And the thing about, I, I thought maybe Juan Mata could have done something better. Mata, Von de Beek, they're both players that find those pockets of space. Rashford and Greenwood don't, Greenwood did it a bit in the first half, but didn't do it in the second half. And, and Cavani's not that guy either. And Bruno was just at, at a certain point, like hanging out next to Luke Shaw to try to get the ball. So you, you need someone that. Yeah, I would say the, the, the only thing that, that, um, kind of changes how I think about the, the starting 11 is that we know Fred was injured because we know this wasn't gamesmanship, right? We know from the last match that Fred picked up a knock. So if Fred is not fit enough to, to go, Right, if he can start, that's really, and this is, <clears throat> I guess, this is part of a larger criticism or one of the weaknesses that we know about Solskjaer, right? That for a one-off game, he can implement, you know, tactical wrinkles, but his default approach there is Plan A, and a consistent criticism is what's the Plan B, and so far what we've seen is the, the Plan B is not really a change in approach or system, um, but more so a change in personnel, right? That, okay, Pogba is out left now, Rashford is out right, and then one of Greenwood or Cavani is up front. Now, if Fred is not available, that limits the option. So we can look at that starting eleven and say, well, okay, he went he went for it. Uh, that's the most attacking lineup, including by instead of Twanzebe, uh, that you could go for. Um, but it, I mean, that might have been his only option. So there's no game changers off the bench because Martial is injured, Fred is injured. Not that Fred is a game changer, but starting with Fred means that one of your attackers will then start on the bench, like Paulie was saying. But if Fred isn't good, if Fred isn't ready to go from the start, then you don't really have a choice but to start that way. Uh, because other than that, your other options. Well, the question uh, is, you know, not reliability. It's not that Fred isn't ready to go from the start. It's that Fred couldn't go 90 minutes. Okay, how much could he go? If he could only go 60 to 65 minutes, is it is there not an argument? There's certainly an argument. Is it not somewhere to say, okay, go 60 to 65 minutes, and depending on what the score is, we can make a change here. If we're if we're 2-0 up at 65 minutes, you have a Matic that you can bring on for the last 25 minutes. If if you're down or you're um, or you're, you're level, you you can move Pogba into the pivot and take Fred off and go for the go for the goal that way. So I, unless you're going to tell me that Fred could only give you 25 minutes or and 30 minutes and maybe that's the case, then it, it just seemed again like just odd that you started this way again like, and I never really thought Fred had much of an injury because all it was all, all he said was oh I saw him and he wasn't walking well and then the next time he gave a press conference they asked him about Fred and McTominay and he was like they should both be fine so I I thought it was more like I dropped him for the final and I'm trying to protect him but there has to be something else but like I was saying before Van de Beek, Mata, they find those pockets of space between the lines. And we needed that. But at the same time, we couldn't get the ball to Pogba or McTominay. And McTominay, Juan Bissaka, Bailly, Lindelof don't make those passes. So you could get open and, and get into those areas. Like, we weren't going to get you the ball anyway. And that's really where the, the problem was. Like, McTominay had had 57 passes for a central midfielder over 120 minutes, which is awful, but Pogba didn't have many more. So like we, 
I mean, they were double teaming him, so we couldn't get him the ball. And have even having a guy up up the pitch that finds those pockets of space and gets open, how much would it have helped us if we can't give it to him? I think we need to talk about the, the Pogba and McTominay thing too, because they had one half each, and obviously, okay, so they're both number eights. Um, we know now we've had a couple of years of this, right? McTominay is not a holding midfielder; he's never going to be one. Um, but he can be an effective box to box, an effective if limited box to box midfielder. Um, and I think yesterday you saw both the good parts of his game. He doesn't hide. Um, he's good driving forward with the ball. Um, you know, he doesn't take, to use a, a, a basketball term, he doesn't take possessions off, you know. Uh, but you also see limits, right? He's driving forward, but he can't make those passes. So he can, so Pogba can do what McTominay was doing in the second half. McTominay can't do what Pogba was doing in the first half, right? Which is, is you know, putting those balls over the top, trying to orchestrate from deep. But for whatever reason, whether it is because of, maybe that's another knock-on effect of Maguire, right? Because we know that United's defensive setup is predicated so much on individual responsibility and trusting defenders to do their jobs that Pogba was so much deeper in the second half, I mean, he was not, he was out of the game. It's just like, I'm not surprised that Paul is saying that, that Pogba didn't make many more passes over 90 or, or how many of minutes he ended up playing, um, than McTominay because he was not a factor in the second half the way he was in the first half. So even McTominay having that half and he was good was also showing, well, this is the limits when this is your box-to-box. This is the more attacking of, of your, your two pivot midfielders because, yeah, he's good. He has his, his strengths, but he can't, he can't pass, you know. I think there are a lot of people who were expressing relief when they didn't see McFred for the cup final. But I, was, I actually had the thought that maybe, you know, 20 minutes in, it would be nice to invite them on and just give us a little bit more space whenever we do get the ball and go forward. By that point, it was pretty clear what Villarreal were trying to do during the match. Um, obviously, with McFred, you don't have the greatest ball pro- ball uh, progressors, but it's it's something. I mean, if, if you give yourself space with Greenwood and Rashford and Cavani, you know, and Bruno through the middle, you know, you don't often have to worry about what you know, you see from them when they do have to try and break down a team like they did yesterday and like they did in other games, you know, that we've seen. It actually kind of reminded me of the Norwich game, I think, in the FA Cup last year where we were clearly the better side and we were going to control the ball for much of the game, but it was hard to see where the chances were going to come from. Yeah, it. And also, both teams are yellow. Wasn't wait that wasn't wasn't that West Brom? Uh, Who were no. dressed like Norwich? Uh, no, it was the FA Cup. Oh, like, last year, uh, last year, the quarterfinal. Yeah. You Which, remember last July when we were playing football matches? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm really looking forward to my vacation from watching Manchester United. Yeah, <laughs> And that also years. went 120 minutes and. Yes, who was, exactly. And who was the match winner that who day? Was the Harry Maguire. Here, here's one for everyone. Who's if, better, Norwich if, or If Maguire was even just like a little bit fit to maybe start this match, and you thought maybe he could play 20 minutes, but if he pulls something, we got to take him off. If you got five subs, do you do it? Didn't we same, talk about this on Monday and you were like, same you can't with do it, or was I talking to somebody else about that? I don't think we talked about it on Monday. Oh, okay. I did have I mean, that's, what, like, that's what Leicester did with Johnny Evans in the FA Cup final. Yeah. Uh, he did pull something and come off <laughs> after 20 minutes. But, did, uh, they, did they have they five won. subs in the FA Cup? Yes, they did. Yeah. I do remember I, I do remember Game 7 of the Rangers-Lightning series in, in hockey, and their captain, Ryan McDonough, had to get an injection in his foot to basically numb up his, his foot so he could play. And it took seven minutes of game time for that shot to go through and numb him up 
So they dressed a different defenseman who played the first seven minutes and played really well. And then after that, McDonough's foot was like, he's like, all right, I'm good now. I can play. And that other defenseman didn't play the rest of the match. And you and they essentially burned a roster spot on him. And it, it did hurt them. So I, I think the argument can be made either way. But I, I, I think ultimately, I guess, McGuire, obviously McGuire wasn't fit to play. I, get, I think he was just on the bench. So that if we had a two-goal lead, we could sub him on with two minutes left and he could be the guy to go get the trophy. Ollie was doing Southgate a, a solid there by not playing him. Yeah. Yeah, because if, if it's if it's his ankle ligaments, then, you know, that's a dangerous thing to be uh, trying to play through. And I honestly think we – I think he got that spot on the bench just so that he wouldn't have to suffer the indignity of, of lifting the trophy in, in uh, street clothes. Yeah. Even though those were nice club suits that yes, everyone wasted on a cup final that we all like to forget, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, which I think is probably harsh on, you know, maybe one of the kids who, who could have gotten a spot on the bench, uh, sure. Thierry was in the stands, I know. Um, but Hey, you know, I, if, if it, if he wasn't even taking part in the warm up, I don't think there was any chance of, of Maguire coming on yesterday. Yeah, and we know the ankle's not something to mess around with because we saw that with Pogba this year, where he missed a huge stretch of time, too. Ollie might have done Southgate a favor. Now you need Southgate to do Ollie a favor and not select Rashford, but Rashford might have taken care of that himself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mean, Sterling hasn't had a great season either. (laughs) But Rashford has been bad for quite some time now. Yeah. We, We need Rashford to just sit in one of those pods from the Matrix and just, like, have sustenance just pumped into him for three months and do nothing else and just sleep. And then he'll be good for next year. Sterling also has a history of being good. Rashford has put up the exact same production numbers for four years straight now. Like, this is what Rashford is. Sterling doesn't have a history of being good at tournaments, though. He gets in the right place, though. That's yeah. more than Rashford does. <laughs> I mean, but Rashford is also, I think, because I see a lot of these... Um, I think we, especially us who watch him every week, um, you could kind of lose track of the fact that how how long Rashford has been a fixture for United and England. Um, Rashford is going, and if he didn't have the rough couple of months that he had, he would have been a sure starter also. It's Rashford Kane plus one in in the England setup. And yeah, his, his recent form changes that but i think this is listen this is my worry with him and this also speaks to a larger worry with Solskjaer's management of the squad rashford has played every game for the last two and a half years oftentimes through injury and yes of course players bear some responsibility for that because you know that's you as a professional deciding hey i have a short career um, I'm a star for England and United. I want to maximize that while I can. But it's also the fact that we know our manager trusts 12 players in the squad, probably. Um, not at a time, just and, 12. And two of maybe, them are so, goalkeepers. Yeah, unless maybe absolutely ten. necessary, he's not rotating from from that group. right? And, and I'm counting... Of those 12, it doesn't seem like he really trusts either goalkeeper that much. So 12 outfielders. Um, I don't know how he feels about Lee Grant. But but I think that's be- but I think that also speaks to the deficiencies in the squad in that nobody's earned the trust. Because if we, if we go back to the beginning of the season, he was trying. Uh, he was rotating all the time, and that's why people were blaming. People were blaming our slow starts and all the comebacks on over-rotation. And he was trying to get... Rashford some rest uh he didn't start against Leipzig he didn't start against uh, Leipzig he brought him on because he saw an opportunity and Rashford it was a, the right call he he scored three goals then he didn't start him against West Ham and it was a disaster Cavani Martial Greenwood and he had to bring him on at halftime and then suddenly the injuries mounted up and the suspension to Cavani but he, he tried he left him out against Everton in the League Cup and Van de Beek did not. Van de Beek was irrelevant that game. So no one ever gave him 
the opportunity to say, hey, if you leave Rashford off today, I'll be able I'll be able to hold it down here. And what even Watford, Dan James was, you know, crap. And I, I, I don't did Rashford play in that FA Cup match? Did he start in the FA Cup match against West Ham or did he come off the bench? I don't know, but I've blocked that game from my memory yeah, as well. That was another 120 minutes. Just <laughs> no one no one gave him any semblance to say, I can give you 90 minutes here. But also, in order to do that, you need your other players to, to do that. You need Martial to be firing. So to say Rashford's going to have a break today, so but Martial's in good form, so he can carry the slack today and have a right winger who can do that. We didn't have a right winger who was scoring until a month ago. So it just in the first half of the season, the only two players that were playing were Bruno and that were scoring were Bruno and Rashford that and then Martial got hurt and Cavani got hurt. The way the cards were the way the situation just broke was that he had to go to Rashford game after game after game. And so you can look at it that way. And and look, I I do agree with Brent. I, I do think um Ultimately, like whether the cards were dealt that way or not, he would have went to Rashford game after game after game. But there was in the first half of the season that semblance of I am trying to find times to at least rotate Rashford. He certainly wasn't trying to do it with Bruno, but at least with Rashford, he was. Yeah, I think it's, you know, you you some of this is on <clears throat> coaching and and. and most of this, I think, is on recruitment also, because there there have been various points in the last two years where Rashford has been United's best player in at least two positions, sometimes three, you know, depending on depending on a, a, a given month. That is unhealthy, uh, unhealthy situation for a squad uh, to be in, right? So it's it's and of course, you know, nobody one we don't really have anybody who can at a similar ability level who can play at the left on the left. And even if you can say, okay, Martial has been effective from the left. Um, that's a way to, to spell Rashford. The way things sh- shook out this season, you know, Cavani was basically doing his preseason cardio while the season was going on for the first, first couple of months. Martial had a bad season. Um, Mason Greenwood, who is now, who is a striker, and our best right uh, attacker off the right is still a child and having his second you know season in, in the senior team so and, and still learning that position so for those three attacking uh positions around Bruno for a lot of times Rashford is the only he's the adult in the room and he's 23 you know so yes um there's good reason why he was overused i think as well but I also think it's it's fair to to wonder or to, to point out that that is part of the difference between good coaching, even very good coaching, and elite coaching. Right? Good coaching, you can maximize the abilities of the players you have. Elite coaching, you can figure out what your team you want your team to look like based on your best players, but you can get other players to fit those roles also. And you see it in, and I hate to say it. Uh, but you see it across town, right? You see it in, in how Guardiola has been able to mold players to fit a particular vision. Now, the team is still built around talents, right? You you get a good centre-back, you play him at centre-back, and then you put other players around him. You get a good defensive midfielder, you put players around them. But then you have a player like Bernardo Silva, who was a different player before he came to City than he is now. Even Kevin De Bruyne was a different player. But how much of that is also you get a preseason where Pep gets to say, look, I have I have six attackers. Five of them were here last year and they know what they know how we want to play. So I can focus my energy on Bernardo Silva and beat this into him and, and getting time on the training pitch. We never had time on the training pitch this year. And and this also goes back to it to recruitment in just Cavani was a great player. For us and he came in and he did a great job this season he's not exact like Rashford the type of player that Rashford is or the type of player that Rashford is at his best is not compatible with Cavani Rashford's always been at his best playing off Martial 
And Cavani's a different type of striker to that, and it doesn't create the space or the openings that Rashford thrives in. And that's different. And yes, um, if you if you gave a coach that's that you deal him those cards and say, here, take four weeks on the training ground now and make it work. And they can't do that. That's an indictment on their coaching. It's very difficult to do that on the fly, especially like, as Brent said, Cavani arrived in October and was doing his preseason cardio. And and by the time Cavani was like ready to go, he was then suspended. And suddenly it's January and we're playing three times a week. And at that point we we're giving up training sessions just to recover and try to rest as, as much as we can. It, it's a very difficult situation if it if you get these guys on the training pitch next year and it doesn't improve, that's a big problem. So what do we think happens with Martial? Because it's it's been a really weird end to the season for him where it seemed like, you know, for a little while maybe he could come back and, you know, get back into the side and start making an impact. He had a good game against City and then suddenly he was hurt again and he's been absent, you know, from the visibility of us and the fans, you know, at the club for the last stretch of the season and goes into the summer now with, you know, questions of whether the club want another striker. And I I mean, just me, I would like to see him stick around. I think competition for places always, you know, makes the team better, especially if you're pushing for trophies and it gives you more depth. But this is also a player that Solskjaer wasn't 100% sure he wanted to stick around when he became permanent manager. I think he'll be here next year. Like, I do think that they're going to go in a different direction. Like they signed Cavani and that's that and, and having Martial and Greenwood behind him in terms of depth is a comfortable area. Martial's going to, to be around. Like, like I just said, Rashford plays better off Martial Cavani, you cannot rely on to be there every game this season. In a season, this is what he's started. How many, he he hasn't started many matches recently, but like this is like the longest stretch that we've had him available in consecutive games, like and that like six. Uh, he got two muscle injuries this year already. He's 34 years old. You have to balance that. Having Martial, he's also playing is, Copa America this year, by the way. Oh, great. Um, Martial. How many Copa Americas are there? Is it every like, six weeks yeah, Copa America? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> it, it's about as often as the African Cup of Nations. Like every time you turn around, you're like, "What?" Like these again. Um, Tune into FS1. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Martial's numbers in terms of everything that he does besides the goal scoring this year were still right up there with what he did last year. It was just the finishing, which historically he is good at. This was a really bad year, and you have to think he'll revert to form in a way next year if he just gets his head on straight. And you really, and you hope that that's the case, and that gives you options so that Cavani doesn't have to play every game. the The commentator at the very beginning of the game yesterday pointed out that this was like the sixth time that Bruno, Rashford, Cavani, and Greenwood had all started together. So they had played five times before that. United had won three of those games, one of which was the 9-0 over, Southam- over 10 men Southampton. That's, that's not a great record. And in the Premier League, I think Cavani, start, Cavani started 13 matches, and I think United won seven of them, which is not a great record. And one of them was the aforementioned 9-0 against Southampton, and two of the other ones, United only won after Cavani came off the pitch. So... They still need another striker, and, and Martial is very used to this team. This team's very used to playing with him, and if he does what he did this year, it, but just reverts back to his scoring form of last year, you're, you've got a very dangerous attack. Yeah, this time, this time last year, we were seeing Anthony Martial looks every inch a modern number nine. Um, well, was it the same? I don't know. What You know what I mean. The end of last season, whatever time of the year that was, maybe it was... Times of flat circle. Yeah, maybe it could have been October. Um, <clears throat> but 
you know, after uh, the, the suspension of the season during Project Restart, Martial was in the middle of the, his best form of his United career, where he looked, it looked like everything was clicking for him, right? He was holding the ball up really well. His combination play was good. His work rate off the ball was excellent. Um, and he was scoring goals also, right? You know, he finished with, with uh, 20 goals or 21 goals or whatever last season. And yeah, this, this past season was tough for him. He was, he started off playing well, not scoring. And then the longer that goal drought went on, you saw the other parts of his game start to drop off, which is something you see with most strikers. Um, you know, the goals stop going in, their confidence drops, the other parts of their game start tailing off. Um, and I don't think that surprised anybody given kind of what we've seen from Martial over the years. I think he's here next season. We know Cavani. Cavani was a stopgap for the next number nine, right? Whether that's who, whichever is it, the, the wheel that United are going to chase, whether it's it's uh, Haaland or hopefully not, but whether it's Kane or whoever it is, the, the, the wheel of a number nine, uh, Cavani was always going to be a stopgap between that number nine coming in and competing with Greenwood. So I'm okay with him, of course, being here next season because if you sell Anthony Martial, it better be because you need to raise funds for a, a, a starter quality number nine, which we know there aren't. There are a couple out there. Uh, one we can't afford if we intend on on addressing the other areas of the team, and the other we should not be able to afford, or we should not think about trying to afford it, afford if we address the other areas of the team. And United's problem is not finishing anyway. Martial is a better finisher than Rashford. It's just that Rashford can create his own opportunities, probably even better than Martial can. But United's problem is creating chances. So if we get another creator in a team, you know, I'm fine having Patchy. If you have a player who's Patchy up front, Cavani is not exactly a sniper. You know, he is... Um, he's a good finisher. He's been reliable. He's an experienced pro. Uh, but we're not talking about, you know, a, a Lewandowski or a Ruud van Nistelrooy type striker. You know, his numbers have been historically decent. It's for everything else that he does. So between him, Martial, Greenwood getting some more games at number nine, if we get a an elite creator from the right, and we all know the number one choice is and has been for that position, Jadon Sancho. I think United will score more goals. I don't think I, I don't think a tip a, a better tip of the spear is what we need. We need a better shaft, so to speak. Coming next season on Peacock. <laughs> <laughs> um so is that the headline when we if we sign Jaden Sancho? Shafted. <laughs> uh, depends on how much we pay, I guess. <laughs> yeah. How much people get that reference. Although I mean we uh we keep saying we need a right wing attacker. I think Holland checks both of those boxes, right? Hey. hey. So does Pulisic. Got him. Bang bang. <laughs> uh, uh, Harry Kane's got the look. I don't know. I haven't watched the full hour and a half standing on a golf course interview with Gary Neville. Maybe he talks politics. And, uh, Playing the yeah. game of the bourgeoisie. Yeah. Can you imagine anybody else doing that? What a dickhead thing to do. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Two games before the end of the season, you're on a, a golf course giving a Sky Sports interview about how you want to leave. Yeah. Could you imagine anybody doing that? Like, hi, look at this Surely not Gareth Can Bale. I introduce you to Gareth Bale? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Bale is... Bill was probably uh, there, actually. He was just yeah. ahead. <laughs> he was he didn't, had no idea what was going on. You know, he was just playing his usual game. Harry Kane's joining the F. Well, he's probably ignoring him because, like, Kane is boring. Bale's, you know, he's like, all right, I'm on the golf course and I can hang out with somebody more fun than Gar- than Harry Kane. Gareth Bale also speaks pretty clearly. He probably can't understand what Kane says half the time. Yeah. Honestly, the most important thing that we could do in the transfer business is have the Glazers... <clears throat> transport one of their finest Shonies from Florida into the greater Manchester area and just let Anthony Marcial go to work. 
get his confidence back. Wow, my mic is suddenly no longer working. So <laughs> <laughs> Tiger Woods effect. It's a good time to wrap up. <laughs> well, uh, this is a. It is fair- true. It is true. You know, when he's le- when Anthony Martial is less faithful, he plays better. Come on, Anthony. Get back <laughs> on Snapchat and start I mean, to see. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he and Greenwood should switch numbers, so he's number 11 again. Uh, should we go through that again? <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't remember. <laughs> there is there is nothing that I could say about United's number 11 shoot that is, is going to improve my future employment prospects. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I wrote an entire article called Anthony Martial is back. When he got the number nine shirt back, so oh. we don't need to relitigate it for a second time. Should we talk about the character of the players who win number number eleven for United? <laughs> Again, nothing I can say about that. Uh, actually, I, I can say about that. Um, Rand Giggs can go to hell, by the way, and I love the Rand Giggs as a player. Rand Giggs can go to hell. What a piece of shit. Yeah, um, that, that dude is a turd. And on <laughs> yeah. that note. Uh, I don't want Cristiano Ronaldo anywhere near my cl- club ever again. He never, was great for us. Never six, in a million years. Six incredible years. One of the best players to ever put on a red shirt. I don't want him. I'm not worried about that. As much as, as much as all the, as much as, I mean, every fan in England wants him. And as much as the newspapers keep putting it out because people will click on it, commercially, it just doesn't make sense. You can't come to America with it. Yeah. And the lawyers aren't going to want that. <laughs> This is, I know, and the a blowback from that. I think Juventus gets a lot of of heat, um, deservedly, uh, for one signing Ronaldo and then not addressing the fact that they could not go on preseason tour to the states because you know um, he's a criminal. But it'll be a different level of scrutiny if United bring him back. I mean, that's going to be an imme- that's not one of those things where I know, and I know sports and especially football has been terrible with dealing with um, crimes against women, allegations of sexual assault. Ronaldo coming back to United will put that front and center in a huge way. Um, so, yeah, I, I think at least the club this time, I'm kind of with Paulie on this. I'm not that worried because I think. Even the people that run United are aware that this is a terrible, terrible idea. Plus, he's just not that good anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and like you're paying a lot of money for that yeah. headache. That's the yeah. whole yeah. purpose of Neil Ashton is to let people know, hey, this is the, not chill to do this. Yeah. The last two clubs that agreed to pay his massive wages are now in rebellion against UEFA and FIFA because they don't have enough money. Yeah. So. Right. And. One of the other clubs was Inter part of the Super League. They were, they were, they were pretty quick and, out of and, it. And they're <laughs> out of, they're out of money too, because they went and signed everybody that their manager wanted to sign, and now that they're out of money, he's crying like a baby and running off. And we got fans being like, "Well, that's because he's a real manager. If they're not going to back him, he's out." And it's like, "Well, he spent all the money." I, you know what? I it certainly like doesn't it. remind me of another manager. Right. No, no, I like it. Quit. While you can. Right. I know. Everybody right. Else. If you're Antonio Conte, it's a great move because you know yeah. it's going to blow up now because they have you spent all the money and yeah. you can get away without any of the issues falling down onto you. But like if you're a club, why do that to yourself? Well, he you know what? I'm, to... I'm in favor of labor having power over the ownership in that in that regard. So shout out to that guy. At what point in uh, like last summer? You think when Antonio Conte was like, yeah, I need Alexis Sanchez, I need Christian Eriksen, I need Matteo Damian. Like, what was the overlap between him asking for those players at whatever cost and them realizing that the parent company of, of the majority winners was going into insolvency? Like, what was the, was there like two ships passing? It was like, hey, we're about to run out of money. And then he was like, okay, but before you go broke, Bet. need <laughs> Ashley Young. You know, one last thing. Actually, Young didn't cost them anything. Yeah. 
They, oh, no. they just they didn't see GameStop going to the moon, so they're like, all right, let's invest in these uh, players instead. Yeah, are they are they going to be able to finish paying us for Lukaku or? Well, we are looking for a number nine. So. <laughs> <laughs> they paid us sixty million pounds for a two-year loan. Are we going to have to go repo a player? And a backup right back, so we have two over there. Uh, I mean, Spurs might repo their manager. <laughs> <laughs> also, Roma, WYD, Nemanja Matic. <laughs> I am, all right, I think, you know, it's time to put Nemanja Matic out to pasto, to pasture. I'm to not, Yeah, Fred is a pasto. Um, I'm not confident that we will get two midfielders at all. Because we need one, definitely. We need a first team caliber midfielder. I, I don't even know if we'll get that. Like Donnie Vanderbeek? <laughs> yeah, but good. Um, I don't think we'll get another one if we let Matic go, and that worries me a little bit. But if we get Declan Rice, that's the one midfielder that we do get. How do you feel about that? Um, you know what? I've come all the way around on Rice. Um, not because I think he is... Like done best. a 180 or a full 360? <laughs> one it's like oh he's good yeah. yeah i'm about less i'm about 155 degrees around on on rice uh because he's good like he is a very good holding midfield player is he the best value player that united can get given that we have to admit we don't have as much money as we like to to claim no um but if that's the limits of our imagination hey we're looking for a holding midfielder Let's check out, you know, what the sixth biggest club in the country has going on. Um, and that's as far as we're willing to look, then all right, fine. Um, I still think we could get better value, but I'm I'm comfortable with his ability level, I should say. Not comfortable with what he would cost because he is he's the next captain of West Ham. He's their um, best player after Jesse Lingard. And... Uh, he might be a future England captain. Might be a future England captain. West Ham are going to be playing in Europe next season. They have been not in any financial trouble where they need to raise money for sales. All the elements are there to point that this is a terrible financial decision. And then Chelsea uh, will stick their nose in it too to up the price. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's he's a Chelsea fan, came through their academy. They apparently were looking... Or at least Lampard wanted him. Who knows if, if Tuchel does. Um, I mean, if they want Rice, we'll take Kane or Kante. I mean, that might be a that might be a. I still, I mean, I love uh, Ngolo Kante. Um, he is like thirty now. I and think. when yeah. when have we bought, when have we bought a left-footed midfielder from Chelsea that turned out to be past their best? I can't yeah. think of any examples. <laughs> So yeah, I hope I hope that they give James Gardner an actual serious look next year, and not just uh, play in the preseason, but let him play at the beginning of the season. Let him play in some of those Premier League games in September at, at the time when teams are still getting back up to strength because their their players are returning from the Euros and everybody's playing themselves in the shape. And when you do rotate the squad a bit, um, as we did at the beginning of the season this year. Like, when you think about it, how many players really break into a team in the second half of the season? Not many. It has to, like, go perfectly for you the way it did for Rashford. But then you think about players like Cleverly and Welbeck, who everybody was like, well, they're probably still a year away. They're probably And then one year at the beginning of the season, game one, Sir Alex would just be like, nope, Welbeck, you're the guy over Berbatov and Chicharito. And Cleverly, you're in there. And he just he went with them. Do that with James Garner. Give him a legit run, and then if he still needs time, send him out alone in January. To Bayern Munich. Yeah, like <laughs> we sent him out alone this year in January. Like you could do it again next year. Give him an actual run besides just you'll play in the League Cup. Like let him let him play some August September Premier League matches. Um, um, so I let the time get away from me a little bit. Um, I do have some places to be soon, but uh, we will continue this discussion on the transfer window preview podcast in a couple yeah. of weeks. Um, oh, 
one last bit about Harry Kane too. Let's not forget, uh, we just got in bed with Tottenham over the Super League. They know what our finances are. There's no way we're getting a deal on Harry Kane from Daniel Levy. Um. On the flip side, we know what their finances are. <laughs> he knows what everybody's finances are. Nobody's getting to do. Yeah. Nope. No. Nope. Um, but yeah, this is uh, also a farewell podcast for Brent as editor-in-chief of the Busby Babe. Um, so I still have another month going. Yeah, yeah you're right. I'm not going to be on the podcast <laughs> before then, am I? <laughs> it's, it's like once every three months, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> not going to invite him back just to like say swear words? Yeah. I'll be on as a guest. He'll, he'll come on for one last episode with a list of grievances. <laughs> now joining us, uh, the Athletics' newest writer, uh, Brent Maximin. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving us for Carl, I get it. Yeah. But uh, I, I did want to say thanks, Brent, uh, for giving me the opportunity to start a podcast for the Busby Babe all those years ago, even though we were in the middle of a Jose Mourinho sharp turn towards third season Jose Mourinho. Um <laughs> You gave uh, me and my friend Matt a platform to talk about it. And uh, what, what a depressing place to start. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm uh, really, really happy and really proud with um, how far the podcast has come. Um, despite how much I joke in Slack about not listening to the podcast, I do listen to it occasionally. One in five, one in six. I think that's that's pretty good. That's a good strike rate. It's not Rashford's strike rate. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think. Uh, um, I think you guys have done a done a really good job, and um, yeah, after I leave, I'll still be a listener and subscriber. To one in five, one in six. Yeah, you know, and, and rate us five stars on iTunes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, his Rashford rate's going to turn into like Fred from outside the box. <laughs> <laughs> or Fred from inside the box. <laughs> it's, hey, if it's Fred it's, from it's the penalty spot, though. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that is going to do it for us on this episode. Uh, we're probably going to take next week off. I've no, we, I know we've taken a couple of weeks off recently here, but uh, we do have stuff going on, and uh, there's not going to be much Manchester United news to talk about. So uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks' time with a transfer podcast, and uh, yeah, we'll see you then. I would it's call. just because we're lazy. <laughs> All right. Thanks, fellas.